0: This is the Green Student Ministries High School Podcast of the Chapel in Green. We are committed to our students being known, knowing Jesus, and becoming kingdom workers. We hope this podcast serves to encourage, challenge, and to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. This is Green Student Ministries. Um, it's It's funny. I, got, I had the, the privilege and the chance to show up and be part of uh, Fellowship of Christian Students at Green High School on Wednesday morning, um, and so that was awesome. Also, for those of you that are like at other high schools, which is a lot of us, um, if you guys have anything like that going on, like FCS stuff, FCA, whatever, I think it's just FCS now, um, anything like that that you're like, man, I wish that my, my people from GSM were there, let me know, let Betsy know. Um, We would love to come and be part of that. uh, Just however you guys need help or whatever. So just seriously, just let me know, Um, and like I will make time to be there. I was there. I was at Green at like 6:50 a.m. for that, and so that was it was pretty early, but we did it. We made it happen. I was literally. I was like. I was very scared that I was gonna miss my alarm, and then I would just wake up to like disappointed texts that I had like just totally forgot and missed. Um, I decided to start out. This was a bad decision. I I talked to Brittany my wife about this. And I forget in here, like you guys, we kind of know each other, right? Like, you know that I'm, I've got the dad jokes kind of rolling sometimes. Uh, And like, it's, I tell, I tell jokes that are awkward and you guys humor me. All right. But whenever I was there, I opened with this. I was, they were like, I was talking about how to deal with change. And I decided to say, stuff about like quarters and nickels and dimes and stuff. Like, just because I was like, it'll be so bad that it's funny because people be like, aha. Uh-huh. And no, you could hear a pin drop. There was, there was no, like, they, everybody just looked at me like they were just like, it's 7 a.m., bro. Like, this is not, this is not going to fly. And I immediately started sweating, all right? I've never been so nervous in front of people before. Like, I'm pretty comfortable with just being myself, but I, man, for the next, like, 20 minutes, I was just sitting up there and just, like, just sweat just pouring down from my face because I, te- I was absolutely terrified. So that's all a side note that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But I just felt like I had to share that with you, that, like, even people who do this or who speak in front of people regularly— Like, there are moments where we just become absolutely terrified, forget everything that we know, and it's just like, we'd never done it before. So if you've ever been nervous talking in front of people, you are not alone. It is very common and normal and just like, it's not weird at all. So... Today, we're jumping into a brand new series. I'm really, really excited about this. It's called Miracles. Um, And so we're going to be looking at different miracles that Jesus performs in the book of John. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to the Gospel of John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. Um, It's about three quarters of the way through your Bible. Um, And so John chapter one, we're actually going to be in chapter two, but I'm going to flick through um, parts of chapter one. Um, and even as you're going there, I want to give you guys some context to um, just everything that we're going to be talking about today. So we believe um, that, that the Bible is is one one story from start to finish, which means that a lot of things that happen earlier in Scripture lend themselves to what's happening later in Scripture, all right? The Old Testament is not just like, it's not just something that exists and we ignore it. Um, it, is, it is vital to the way that we understand and see even the New Testament and we see Jesus and we see scripture and how it plays out and all of these things. Because if we can't put ourselves into the story um, and see what's happening whenever Jesus shows up, I think some of the significance and like the amazement um, even of who Jesus is, gets kind of lost on us. So if you remember all the way back in the very beginning, now again, this is I'm just, I want to give some context for the book of John. So obviously I'm starting in Genesis. I will do this quickly, all right? We're not, don't worry. Um, in Genesis, right, the very beginning, God creates the world. He puts everything in its place. He orders creation perfectly how it should be, he calls it very good. He puts man and woman, Adam and Eve, in the garden with His presence with all the rest of the animals, the birds, everything, he puts them in charge. He says, hey, take care of this, all right? They live together with God in his presence, Um, and then Adam and Eve, they sin, they screw it up, they disobey God, all right? And because of that, they are removed from God's presence, they can no longer be with him, they are kicked out of the garden that's called the fall, they screw things up. All right, that's chapter three of Genesis. Then you flick forward a couple chapters into Genesis chapter 12. We meet a guy named Abraham, all right? At this point, the whole world is like way screwed up. Like basically from Genesis three to Genesis 11, the world just keeps getting worse, all right? And he even like tried to start over again with Noah in like chapter six, and then, and it's still, it just continues to get worse, all right? Things in the very beginning are, are bad, All right, and very quickly, humanity goes downhill. All right, and the things that were supposed to be are broken. The good things that were there are forgotten, and and God kind of gets like pushed out of the picture um, by humanity. No one really is seeking him, no one is looking to him. um, People kind of forget about him. And so, Abraham shows up on the scene, all right, and he's got his family, all his people. He's just kind of this regular guy. God calls him, all right, he comes to him and he says, You, I'm going to use you and your family and your descendants to bless the nations, all right? And so through Abraham, God creates what we know to be his people, the the nation of Israel, all right? Abraham is kind of the, like, great-great-great-great-grandfather of all of Israel, all right, even more than that. And and the whole purpose of God saying, I am choosing your family, is he says, I'm going to use your family to fix this. Through your family, you guys are going to become a blessing to the entire world. Through your family is going to come someone who will fix this and put all of these things that were broken back together. So God creates that plan. He sets it up. He sends out Abraham. Abraham has a couple kids and grandkids. And then a couple hundred years later, Abraham's family winds up in Egypt in slavery not going well. This plan is not going well. All of a sudden, all of these people, the entire nation of Israel, right, the Hebrews or the Jews, as a lot of them were called, um, are end up in, enslaved to the people of Egypt. And they are crying out to God, saying, I thought that this was supposed to be different. I didn't think that it was supposed to be this way. What's going on? God, please rescue us. Please save us. Please get us out of here. And they cry out to God. He hears them and he sends this guy named Moses. All right? And the reason that this is a big deal is because Moses was and kind of has been all through the Old Testament is like the shining example of what a man of God is supposed to look like. A a prophet in his time all right, there really after Moses there is really nobody else like him in the Old Testament. There's nobody else like him. Before Moses is is a different kind of dude. All right, he shows up and he starts doing things. He starts performing these signs, he starts performing essentially these miracles that these people are seeing really I ask this question. How do you know that a guy that shows up that says I am speaking on behalf of God is actually speaking on behalf of God? Well, in the Old Testament, whenever somebody would show up and say, this is what the Lord says, typically it would be accompanied with some type of miraculous sign or something that he was doing so that people would be like, oh, okay, yo, he just turned his stick into a snake. This guy's probably like speaking for Jesus. Or like, oh, the entire Nile River turned from water into blood. Okay, yep, something's happening here. This guy is not just like normal, like a normal dude, all right? And so all of these miraculous signs start to happen. Moses is the one who, it seems, is kind of enacting these. He's saying he's speaking for the Lord. And what ends up happening, Moses leads God's people out of slavery. It's like probably the biggest story to the Hebrew people that he leads them out of slavery across the Red Sea. It's, he splits the sea in half, and they walk through on dry land. The Egyptians are swallowed up, right? God's people safe, yay, hooray, woo, um, that is like the major defining story of the Old Testament. All right. That God's people are in trouble. He sends someone, a prophet, to speak to them and to rescue them and to bring them through the water and out of trouble. All right. And even Moses himself, this is what he says in, in Deuteronomy 18:15, he says that the Lord will raise up another prophet like me. So all through the Old Testament, There are these kind of people that arise and show up that, right, Moses has laid the groundwork and he's saying that there is going to be another one who is like me. There's going to be another person who does kind of what I do, or who is like me, who who speaks for the Lord, who rescues his people. All right, and all through the Old Testament, it's like it's basically rhythmic. Like there are, there's a guy who shows up, Israel's in trouble, he speaks for the Lord, he he rescues or attempts to rescue, and there's all of these people. There are prophets and prophetesses, and just all of this, all of these people that show up through the Old Testament that are like kind of modeling, and and it's like they. They look like they're going to be this person that Moses was talking about. And so the nation of Israel is always waiting, like they're just constantly waiting for somebody who's like Moses and even somebody who is better than Moses to show up. This is for like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. They are waiting, these people are waiting for this person to come to rescue them and to bring them through. And it brings us into the New Testament, all right? In towards the book of John, where that is where we find God's people. They are desperately waiting because now, instead of living in oppression and slavery under the rule of, of, the, of the Egyptians, they are now living under the oppression and rule of the Romans. So here again, the Israelites, God's people, find themselves in this position where they feel like they are in trouble. And they are saying, God, where are you? We need you. Like this has been their constant prayer that one like Moses would show up, all right? That's even why on our, on our thing here, this is from the Prince of Egypt. I'm not gonna lie to you guys. I love this picture. I love that movie. It's pretty awesome. So, but that's Moses. And that's why this is not Jesus, all right? That picture is not Jesus. So just like looking back and even thinking about miracles, like the whole hope, of, of the people of Israel is that one like Moses would show up on the scene and he would rescue God's people. All right. And so here we go. We're in the book of John. And from the very beginning here, this is why I love this. I love this book. I love even just looking at this. So even as we dig into these miracles, this is important because John chapter one Verses 15 through 18, I don't have this on the slide, I'm just gonna kind of read through bits of, of chapter one before we get to chapter two. It says that John, right, this is John the Baptist, he's on the scene here. He's he's testifying about, about this other person, this guy basically who's going to show up. In verse 15, it says, John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me, From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. And catch this in 17. It says, for the law was given through Moses. All right, so here, another reference back to Moses. This is an important guy. But God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. So even right now, John is saying, we got the law And we got all of these things through Moses. But now coming here right now is this guy who is even greater than Moses. He is is like Moses, but more, like, but more, all right? And so to these Israelite people hearing this, they're like, yeah, that's, there's no way. That's impossible. There's no way. Moses is, he's the greatest prophet. He's like, he's the goat. He's like, he's it, right? There's nobody else who can be better and Jesus shows up on the scene here in the beginning of John. And, and John the Baptist this is this guy. He's he's telling people that there is somebody even greater than Moses, greater than himself. He's like, he, man, he's coming. He's here like, Watch out! He's he's right here, and so there's this excitement building, right? There's this oh, we've been waiting for this, and so people are starting to kind of mumble about this. They're they're murmuring. They're they're talking to their neighbor. It's like, hey, did you hear something about yeah this Messiah guy, right? A Messiah is is just another word for Christ, um, and it actually means anointed one. So really, whenever we say Jesus Christ, it's like Jesus the Christ or Jesus, that's his name, the Messiah. So to say that, like, Jesus is the anointed one. He's the one that we're waiting for. So it's, it's funny. It's not like his last name. It's not like his name is Jesus Christ, like my name is Adam Crawford. It's like he is Jesus the Christ, which is like Jesus the anointed one or the one that they were waiting for, the one who would be king, the one who would rule and do all these things, all right? I always used to think it was, like, his first and last name. That was—I didn't learn that until college, and I felt really dumb. So, all right? Um, so— He's saying, dude, there's there's more people coming. And even the guys who are around John in chapter 1, right, in verse 19, says this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John. They're like, who are you? He came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. He's like, that's not me. I'm not that guy. All right, you're not that guy, pal. I'm not that guy. This is not you. And they're like, well, who are you? Verse 21. And they asked, are you Elijah? No, Are you the prophet we are expecting? There is this waiting, this longing from these guys looking for the one who would come, who would be the Messiah, the the one to rescue and save and fulfill all of these promises that have been laid out in the Old Testament. And they're like, yo, John, you're doing some cool stuff. Is it you? Are you the guy? And he's like, no, it's not me. There's this other dude. Are you the prophet we were expecting? He's like, no, it's not me. And so what he does is he points to Jesus So verse 29 of chapter one, then the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one that I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. He's like, that's the guy I was talking about. um, Flip forward a couple verses into, into verse 36. Again, right, this is the following day. John was again standing with two of his disciples as Jesus walked by John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. So like multiple times, he's like, look, look over there. Look at this guy. He's the the guy. This guy. He's it. There is the Lamb of God. And when John's two disciples heard this, right, so John had these guys who were hanging out with him, learning from him. They followed Jesus. So even these two guys that were with John, they take John at his word. John's like, that's the Lamb of God that's the guy. They leave and they go and they're like, all right, I'm with him now. I'm following Jesus. I want to learn from him. I want him to be my teacher. I want to, I want to chase after this guy. All right. And then even further down in chapter one, Jesus has um, kind of this encounter, this experience with, with a couple of guys, with Philip and Nathaniel. All right. And it's so, it's funny. Verse 45, Philip, he went to look for Nathaniel and he told him, we have, found the very person that Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. This is the guy these people have been waiting for. They have been longing for the one who would show up and rescue and save They have been waiting as a people. There have been promises after promises after promises and looking forward all through the Old Testament that this is what the scriptures say is that there is going to be someone like Moses, right? Another person who is coming, the one who would be anointed, the one who would rescue and save, even greater than Moses, which is like impossible for them to even try to like wrap their minds around. They're like, there's no way. And I love this. Like, can you imagine having been waiting for this and it's like here and now in your lifetime these two guys Philip and Nathaniel they're together and and Philip's like Nathaniel like we found him like he's here like grandma and grandpa like they they talked about this and and mom and dad talked and like and they didn't see him but but like this is this is the guy so there's all this expectation and this just like this excitement about like maybe this is it They've been longing for this. So you have to put yourself in that context. That's why all of scripture is so important that whenever Jesus shows up on the scene, right, his arrival is a massive thing. It's not just like he just like popped in and people are like, oh yeah, Jesus, is a cool guy. As soon as he starts making these claims that he is the son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he is the anointed one, that he is the one who is going to come to be greater than Moses, that's why the Pharisees are freaking out. They're like, no, there's no way. It can't be you. Even even um, in verse 46, I love this. Whenever Philip and Nathanael are talking about that, Nathanael's like, he's from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Like the Messiah isn't gonna come from Nazareth. That's like, is where a bunch of weirdos live. I'm not, what do you mean? Like to them, they're like, why would why would this person even come out of, they were expecting maybe, I don't know, like from the heart of, of Jerusalem or something like that. Like, they Again, Jesus shows up, he's here. Jesus then talks to these guys. He talks to Nathanael, says some stuff about him that Nathanael's like, "Whoa, how did you know that? And like immediately Nathanael's like, okay, maybe it is you. Maybe you are the guy. Like he, Jesus, for some reason, he says that he saw him under a fig tree and we don't ever really see what this scene looks like. But to Nathanael, that was significant enough where in, uh, in verse 49, he says, Rabbi, You are the son of God, the king of Israel. Like, so for for him immediately, this moment, it was enough that he saw this thing happen and it was like, you're the guy. Like, oh my goodness. I I can't believe that like this is really happening. And I love this because then Jesus even says to him, he's like, I tell you the truth, man. He's like, do you believe, you believe this, right? You believe that I am who I say that I am just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree He's like, you're going to see greater things than this, man. Like, I'm about to do even more than just that. Like, come with me. I will show you. And so here we have the book of John, which exists. And honestly, the the whole kind of point of John is that we would see that Jesus is who he says that he is. And the result would be that you would believe in him. All right? That is the whole—if you had to sum up John— it is showing that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God, that he is this Messiah. And the hope is that you would see who Jesus is and that you would believe in him. All right, so here we go. All of that kind of background leads us into John chapter two. All right, and I love this. So here we go. John chapter two, verse one. The next day, I love the, the time stamps. All right, so Jesus was just talking to those dudes. Now, the next day, there's a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus's mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus's mother told him, they have no more wine, all right? So pause right there for just a second. So back in um, kind of early times here, right, a wedding was different than what a wedding is now, all right? So for us, like, a wedding happens, it's like Usually in the afternoon, there's like a ceremony that's like a couple minutes long, like 30-ish minutes. If it's like shorter than that, people are like, why did I even come to this? And if it's longer than that, people are like, all right, let's go. Come on, we're going to get to the reception. And they're like, where's my food? All right. And then you go, and usually there's like cake and dancing, and it's fun. And then everybody leaves around like 9 or 10, um, and like that's it. Really like the whole, the whole party from like ceremony to end of the reception at max is going to be like 6 to 8 hours. Back in this day, a wedding and the festival that came with a wedding lasted a week, all right? So not only is this festival a week long, but if it was your wedding, your family was in charge of providing food and drink and wine and all the good party things to all these people for seven days, all right? And I'm telling you, people back in this day, I mean, man, they knew how to eat and party and they would get after it, all right? And so like, Things were, everything was flowing, and they were getting after it for seven full days. They are, they are living it up. They're having this party. So sometime in the middle of this festival, in the middle of these, of these party celebrations or whatever, Jesus is there, his mother is there, and, and they're hanging out. Um, a wedding back in the day also was like a very communal thing. It wasn't just like, did you get invited? Like, no, like if you lived in town, you went. All right? Like you just, everybody that was a part of this little community, they were all there. This was not by invite. It was just like, I live here, and so all of these people are coming, and I need to feed them, and we will celebrate together. So it was very community-based, very community-oriented. It was just like everybody in town knows everybody, and we're all going to this thing together, and we're going to celebrate for this full week. All right? All right. If people got married like back to back to back to back to back, man, that would be like just a, a wild and crazy summertime. I would, that would be nuts, all right? Just like weeks and weeks of weddings and celebrating. Nobody would get any work done, all right? It would be crazy. And so in this time, Jesus and his mom, they're there, and it says in verse 3 that the wine supply ran out during the festivities. This is a big deal, all right? Because if somebody who was the host of a wedding of these festivities and this party, it wasn't just like, hey, like we gotta, we're we're running kind of low, and it's like, oh, that's okay. No, if you ran out of food or wine, basically like if you did not prepare for the amount of stuff that you needed to have, this would bring ruin on the on the newly married couple. Like, if you were known as the people, as the couple who did not have enough, if you ran out of stuff. Like you basically, it's like you couldn't even get a job in town. People would not hire you. People would not use you for like the services that you provided. You like essentially, if you screwed up this festival, your whole life is essentially like almost ruined at this point. Like you might as well just like pack it up and leave and go somewhere else and start over because this would lead them to like unrecoverable financial disaster, right? People would take their presents and their gifts back essentially, because they didn't, it's like, hey, you guys kind of ran low on biscuits, all right? Like, can I have my bed, bed set back that I gave you? Like, I need that back, all right? I, I wanted biscuits, and you didn't have any, so I'm upset, all right? And so, it's just like, they would, this was a big deal, all right, if they ran out. And so, for some reason or other, Jesus's mom is aware of this. Maybe she's a part of, like, the catering crew, like, maybe she's helping out, and just, like, hey, and, and she comes to Jesus, and she's like, Jesus, these people are almost out of wine. Like, and as soon as anybody hears that or would, like, catch a whisper of that, like, if people started talking, like, they're out of wine, or, like, they're out of this stuff. People be like, like, the, the rumors would start flying. People would start mumbling and just be like, oh, my gosh, I knew it. These people, this is a terrible party. I, I told you about them. This is ridiculous. And, and, like, everybody starts talking. And so for some reason or another... Jesus' mom, his own mother, comes to him and she's like, Jesus, they are running out of stuff. <laughs> and he's like, okay. <laughs> so verse, verse four, he's like, dear woman, that's not our problem. <laughs> Jesus replied, he's like, my time has not yet come. Like, I just imagine Jesus literally like, can you, like if your mom even comes to you and he's like, hey, like, up, there's, some, there's a problem and I need your help, and you're like, I'm just trying to hang out with my friends, mom, leave me alone, all right, and so she asks him, and she says, dear woman, like, that's not, that's not our problem, he's like, that's not really why I'm here, like, I'm the son of God, like, I've got other stuff to do, (laughs) all right, mom, and dear woman, that's not our problem, my time has not yet come, and I love this, this response, right, like, she asks him, and he's like, that's not, like our big, that's not really why I'm here. And, but verse 5, this is what she says. She says, but his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Like she knows, because of who he is, that he'll probably end up helping. All right? Like moms know that kind of stuff. But it's like, he's like, that's not what we're here for. And she like whispers to the servants, like, do whatever, do whatever he tells you. Just listen to that guy. Because she knows that he's going to do something. And so even this, right, in this, what's about to happen, this is like, I'm sure that Jesus knows this guy, the groom and the bride and whoever, these people that are getting married. Like, he probably knows them, and is potentially friends with them, or I'm sure that because he's Jesus, he cares about them, right? (laughs) Like, and wouldn't want to see somebody that maybe he's grown up with or has been around, like, yo, if this happens, like, this isn't going to be good. And so, he sees this opportunity here to say, I I can do something about this. And not only can I do something about this, right? But this turns into something more. This isn't just like, yeah, I've got some money. Send this guy out to the store and like pick up a couple extra, uh, I don't even remember, uh, wine skins or whatever and just have him bring him over here and it'll be okay, right? I got a guy, I know a guy, he'll bring him over and everything's gonna be fine. No, verse six, this is really, this is crazy. Verse 6, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, Fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, Now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. All right, first of all, from the very get go, right, Jesus then decides. This is, this is going to be something more. I'm not, I'm not simply just sending people to go get more. For whatever reason, he says, right now, I'm going to do this. And, and it has significance to who Jesus is and what we know about him. All right? Because first off, at a party and really among the Jewish people, there's all these like cleaning rituals and stuff. Right? If you were unclean, it was not good. All right. Like you couldn't offer sacrifices. You couldn't get right with God. You couldn't do all of these things. Um, and a lot of times you were kind of like cast out of society, uh, you know, just like simple stuff. And, and so the whole idea that you would be clean versus unclean was a big deal. And so even at these festivals and before eating and all this stuff, people that followed very strictly to these old Testament laws and these kind of like Jewish rituals, um, and traditions would, before they would eat, they would take these Take these stone basins, and these were specifically used to be part of kind of this ceremonial washing, where it wasn't just like I'm getting the germs off of my hands, but it's like because I'm washing my hands in this basin, I am now clean. I am now seen as pure, all right, and I am able to then present myself To other people, I'm able to be around. I'm able to present myself to the the Lord um, at the altar and in the the sanctuary and all of these things. And so they're they're very worried about this. And so Jesus specifically tells these guys, grab those stone basins and fill them up. And so they do this. When the jars are filled, he asks them to dip some out. This This is a big deal, all right? And again, this is out of care for this family that he is around. And, and the fact that he is using these basins, these specific stone jars, I'll get to this in a little bit, but this is a, this is a big deal because this is, saying more, this is more than just let me help out at this party. All right? Dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies so the servants followed his instructions. So here we go, verse 9. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. So first off, like this guy who's tasting the wine, he doesn't even know like where this has come from. All he knows is that these servants bring him this wine and they're like, hey, here's the stuff. We've got more wine. We're good to go. He tastes it and is like, this is the best that I've had. Like, this is the best wine. This is the best stuff, all right? Obviously, they're probably a couple days into this ceremony by now because if supplies are running low and even his response is like, most people save the best stuff like for first so that everybody's kind of having a good time at first and then they bring out like kind of the lesser stuff later because no one really cares and it's like every, things are winding down. And, but you, here, we've, you guys have saved the best for last. So not only does Jesus turn water into wine, he turns it into like good wine, like the best wine, all right? And side note here, because of this context, right, this passage is not saying anything about whether alcohol is good or bad, all right? This is not a passage to look at and say, see, it's good, or see, it's bad, because the context of this is about Jesus revealing who he is. So a lot of times we take scripture, and we take things out of it, and we're like, see, this is arguing for one thing or the other. This has nothing to do with that, all right, this, is, this has nothing to do whether or not alcohol good or bad or whatever. All right, that's not what this is about at all. But what we do know is that this was a very normal thing at these festivals and these parties. And not only does Jesus turn the water into wine, he turns it into the best wine. And here's what I love. I am sure that if you, if the groom, right, if you're that guy or the bride, you probably are aware of kind of what's happening. You're probably checking maybe like over your shoulder at like your supplies throughout the week. Because you're like, gotta make sure that everything's okay, that like people are happy and things are going well. And that we're and so like you see everything kind of going down and you're like, we're gonna like, babe, we're gonna run out. Like, I don't know, what are we gonna do? And like, and so you could probably see them maybe starting to panic a little bit, like, do you know anybody? Can I call somebody? Does anybody owe us like any favors? We can have them bring some more in. What are we gonna what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? And so can you imagine the master of ceremonies like the guy who's in charge of all this party he calls the bridegroom over and in that moment in i'm if you're him and you're worried about something right you know what when, whenever you're nervous about something or you think you've done something wrong and then like your mom or your dad calls you in like you're like here it comes this is it they know i'm about to get totally just destroyed here and then they're like hey your teacher called and told me you got like great you guys are doing really good in school or like your coach called and said that he loves having you on the and you're like Yeah, that's definitely what I thought we were going to talk about right now. Not the other thing that happened that I didn't think you knew about. Okay, bye. Like the bridegroom, I'm positive here that this dude thinks he's about to get absolutely like lambasted in front of the whole party. Like imagine getting just like totally embarrassed at your own wedding, your own wedding party. All right. That would be terrible. What a horrible day. It's like the videos of the guys who are, like, getting married. They pass out and, like, fall into a pool behind them or something, like, random. Uh, I don't know. It, I just couldn't imagine. So this guy's freaking out, probably. The master of ceremonies calls him over, and, and he's probably like, this is it. This is where my life ends. This is it. I'm not going to. We have to move. Sorry, honey. Can't live here. All right? And he's like, buddy. He starts talking about the wine. He's like, the wine. And the guy's like, I know. I know, the wine. I'm sorry. He's like, this is the best wine. The guy's like, what? (laughs) What? What? He's like, this is the best wine. Everybody normally saves the best stuff, like, for first, but you've saved it for last. It's like, this is awesome. And the guy, I mean, if I'm that guy, you're like, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I did that. I did, yes, I did that. We saved the best for last, for you, because we care about you. Like, and I'm sure, I mean, he's probably dumbfounded, all right? If you think that your stuff is running out and there is nothing left, you're going to be freaking out. And so not only does Jesus rescue this dude from a lifetime of embarrassment, all right, he performs a miracle, but it's more than just water to wine, all right? Wine has massive significance throughout the Old Testament and even into Jesus's ministry. Don't let this be lost on you, the fact that when this happens, right, Jesus takes this water that was, where was it at? It was in these, in these basins, these stone jars that were for what? Purification, to make something clean, to take something that was unclean and make it pure. Later in John, and in, in, in many of the Gospels, We see this picture of Jesus at the last supper and he holds the bread and the cup in his hand and he says, this bread is my body that's broken for you. This wine, this drink is my blood. It is the blood of the covenant. It is shed for you. And so here at the beginning of John, there is this this look ahead to what Jesus will then do with the wine and how it represents what? His blood. And so he is saying that no longer is this water in these stone basins going to be the thing that cleans you and makes you from unclean to clean, that makes you pure. I am going to do something different here. And it is no longer just this water, but now you will wash with this. It's like, because it's in these stone basins, you will be washed by this wine. You'll be washed by my blood. This is a picture pointing ahead to what Jesus is going to do on the cross. That because of his shed blood, that those who are unclean will become clean. Those who are broken will be restored. Those who are dirty and and full of sin will be made pure and be given a new heart. It will be something new that is created. This is it's just a small echo, a shadow looking ahead to what he's going to do. This is crazy. That even in this small thing, this is not simply about Jesus making sure that everybody's having a good time and gets their wine at this party. He is doing something here. He is revealing himself as powerful, right, in this miracle. But this is also pointing us further ahead to what Jesus is going to do. And I would say that all of his miracles that we will look at exist to do this. And look what happens in verse 11. Once he does this, This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time that Jesus revealed his glory. And what happened? And his disciples believed in him. Believed in what? In in him. That he is who all of these people that are talking about Jesus, that he is, he is that. He is the Messiah. He is what John was saying about him. He is what these disciples have been discussing about. He is this person that has been long awaited for. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He's this guy that has been talked about and prophesied about and looked towards and anticipated all through the Israelites' Old Testament, their scripture, through their story. They have waited for him. And here, even at this wedding Like, not even everybody knows what's going on. It's like Jesus knows, his mom knows, these servants know, and the disciples that were with him. And there's only like three or four of them here. This isn't even like he's not assembled his whole crew yet, all right? This is just a couple of them. They're here, and they see him, and they do this thing. And the result, because he reveals his glory in this way, is that they believe in him what are they believing? It's It goes back to chapter one, verse 49. Then Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. You are this guy. You're the one we've been waiting for. And so whenever we look through the book of John and we look at these miracles, we are going to see countless people come to believe in Jesus. And that's even a phrase that we say now all the time. Do you believe in Jesus? Right? And And whenever you say that, maybe you think, well, what does that mean? Well, I believe in Jesus. Like, well, what does that mean? Well, I believe that he died for my sins and I believe that he died on the cross and I believe that he rose again. And I believe, but like the simple answer is like, do you believe that Jesus is who he says that he is, who he shows us to be? through eyewitness accounts, through his very word in scripture, and because if you truly understand who Jesus is, then we look at all of the other things that Jesus say differently. It's no longer just like a book of nice things of how to live a good life where you're able to kind of just like operate around the rest of the world and be nice and like, and everything's okay. Jesus comes and he's like, man, we've got a mission. We've got something that we are pressing towards. There are people who are broken and hurting and dying and this world needs corrected and fixed and redeemed. And Jesus shows up and he says, I am that guy. I am him. I am. He shows up and he is saying that all of these people that have been waiting for the Messiah need not wait any longer because he is here right now now and the result of seeing these miraculous signs is that these people believe in him and i want us to have the same response that's my prayer for us that as we look at his miracles as we look at the things that he does that it wouldn't we wouldn't look at all of these miracles and say wow that's amazing i wish that that would happen to me like that's not why this is in here all of these miracles are proof and examples and should be pointing us to the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one that we have been waiting for, that you have been waiting for, that I have been waiting for, and he is here to rescue and save because he no longer requires this washing of the hands to go from clean or from unclean to clean right the purification that happens. This is something new that he's doing. He does it within our very hearts. Scripture tells us that whenever we believe in Jesus that he not only washes us clean, but he gives us a new heart, like that we are made new. There is something new inside of us, and then that should challenge us, and we should be different from the rest of the world that we operate within. It should make us different. We should not argue like the rest of the world. We should not care about the things that the rest of the world cares about. We should be caring in the ways that Jesus teaches us and shows us. This is a different way of living. It's a different way of life. And it's one of compassion and kindness and even this simple gesture of like, my friend could potentially be embarrassed here and I'm gonna help him out, right? It's such a, it seems like such a small thing, but it's massive. Caring for this person, changing this water to wine, making sure that everything goes well. It's no longer rituals and laws that purify us in today's time. But the blood of Jesus that's poured out in his death as the final payment for our sins. It's a once and for all thing. And so, my question for you is what is your response this morning? What is your response to Jesus? You have to ask yourself that question Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that he is who he says that he is? Always be asking yourself that question. Because if I believe that Jesus is who he says that he is, I need to take his words more seriously. I need to examine my own life and make sure that I'm following and chasing after him in a way that maybe I haven't been doing previously. So the simple question is, do you believe in Jesus? And do you believe that he is who he says that he is? And if your answer is yes, does this one fact about what you believe, does this fundamentally change everything about you? Because it should. It should change everything about you. Everything. So I'm gonna ask the band to come up and we're gonna sing and we're gonna worship. But how beautiful of a picture that we get to see here that Jesus came and he wasn't just here to do fancy tricks or party tricks or, or just simply reveal his power. But he came and revealed his power and who he was in order that you would know him, in order that you would walk with him and that you would be changed and that the things in your life that even right now are hurtful, And the places where you live that feel broken and the parts of your life that you feel shame over or worry or hurt or concern, he sees those things and he loves you. And he says, give those things to me. I want to heal you. I want to help you. And he creates a community of believers and of people and and within his body that we would care and carry one another. That's what he does. And I want us to walk in that in in the fullest sense of what he has for us. Because it should should change everything about us. It should change everything about this room. It should change everything about our families and our communities and our schools and everywhere that we live. We should be willing also then in Jesus' example to lay down our own lives and our own freedoms and our own comforts for the betterment of his kingdom and for the gospel of Jesus. Jesus changes everything. Do you believe in him? Father, we love you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the way that you love us and care for us. And even in this miracle that we see, God, I'm so excited to look at more of them, but just to be reminded of of the way that you care for us and see us, God, the way that you have revealed yourself to us through your son, Jesus. I'm grateful for that. I pray now that as we worship, would we do it even contemplatively, that we we would contemplate what you're doing in our own hearts right now, God, that we would think on these things, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to sleep well, that we would wrestle with these things. God, about who you are and what you're doing in us, that you're how you're calling us and what we really believe about you. God, would you give us clarity and would you help us now, even as we worship and praise you, that we would do so honestly and that we would give you the glory that you deserve. God, because you're good and you are our rescuer, we love you. In we pray, amen. To the Green Student Ministries High School Podcast of the Chapel in Green. If you have any questions or concerns, feel free to contact us at gsm at thechapel.life or follow us on Instagram at Green Student Ministries. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.